This week, we sat down with Sam, a PhD student in the Department of Health, Aging, and Society at McMaster University, who has experience working as a recreational therapist and has completed her master's degree in public health. Sam discusses her educational and career journey, and we learned that the journey to choosing a career is not necessarily always simple, but may be influenced through life experiences and mentors. She also eloquently explains the approach recreational therapists take towards patient care and how she used her experiences as a recreational therapist to influence her approach to learning about healthcare and health inequities during her Master's of Public Health program. We are then able to continue to gain more insight into the importance of considering the social determinants of health and individual health outcomes and the importance of interdisciplinary approaches and teamwork in patient care from a public health and recreational therapy perspective. Sam also shares some great advice for students considering a field in healthcare. Hello, Sam. Would you be able to introduce yourself to our listeners? Specifically, would you be able to talk about what kind of work you do and who you work with? Hi, Harmeet. Thanks for having me today. I'm really excited to share my experiences um, having worked in the healthcare field as well as my academic experiences. So I'm a current PhD student in the Department of Health, Aging and Society at McMaster University. And I've also worked as a recreation therapist. I worked in two different healthcare settings, one being in mental health in the forensic psychiatry program, and another being with older persons in an alternate level of care setting. Thank you for introducing yourself to our listeners. Would you be able to tell us about your journey and how you've come to where you are today? Absolutely. So I think like as many people might have felt while they were deciding what program they wanted to go to uh, for university, I think there's a lot of uncertainty because there's so much that we don't know. um, And it seems that we have to make that decision fairly quickly. So I've had quite a, I would say, a path that's taken a lot of different turns to get me where I am today. And I'm really grateful for those experiences that I've had um, because I've had an opportunity to try out a lot of different things uh, before I got to where I am right now. So when I initially applied for school, I had wanted to be a lawyer, an environmental lawyer specifically. And I quickly learned in my first few years of study in environmental studies that it wasn't an area that I was as interested in as I thought it would be. At the time, I was also working on the side as a personal trainer. I was really interested in health and fitness, um, but I always saw it more as something to complement my income as a student rather than as a career. So I always kept it as a hobby. And then I had a close relative of mine who had some experiences with their mental health. And they ended up in hospital and they found that the person that treated them like a person the most was a recreation therapist that they worked with. Um, And so that's when I became interested in recreation therapy because it's a really holistic way of working with individuals that doesn't see them as having a deficit, but rather seeks to bring out someone's strengths. And it incorporates all of these wonderful things about health and well-being that I was really interested in and also um, a lot of advocacy for people with disabilities. So that's how I, I stumbled on recreation therapy. I changed my program, changed my school, And then I really just found that what I was learning made me feel like I was in the right place. It just really felt right. So after I graduated, I decided to pursue my master's because I had a really supportive supervisor who encouraged me and who who felt that I had, you know, passion for research. And she really brought that out in me. 
And so I went on to pursue my master's. I also worked while I was doing that, which, which was a lot to balance as a recreation therapist. But I, I was happy to have the experience of both being in the classroom and then being able to apply what I learned in the workplace and vice versa. And as I went on in my master's in public health, I realized more and more that um, while I really enjoyed my frontline work, I wanted my work to have a bigger impact than what I could do with working with someone on a one-to-one basis. And that's how I became interested in continuing my studies um, and going on to do my PhD. And so now I'm in the Department of Health, Aging and Society, and I'm pursuing research on housing, people who are aging, mental health, um, and different policy issues related to those topics. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think you brought forward two great points that are are very applicable to students who are choosing what career they want to do. And one of them is the fact that sometimes we have a vision in mind wherein we have this career that we want to pursue, but then our life experiences can sometimes guide us in a different direction. And also the, the importance of mentors. And you mentioned that your supervisor was very supportive. And, and I feel like when you do have supervisors um, or mentors that really encourage you and and they help you shape your decisions and your approach to your education that can be so monumental and it it can really shape the trajectory of our educational path so thank you so much for for sharing your your journey and how you got to where you are today you you spoke on public health and so and how recreational therapists take uh, a different approach to patient care um, perhaps one that's very patient-centered And so I'd like to ask you how your background in public health influences your approach to your work in healthcare, including patient care. Absolutely. So I I think it's kind of funny because the way that I have seen my understanding of public health was actually most influenced by my experiences in recreation therapy. So I kind of look at it on the flip side. So maybe I can approach it that way because that's just the way that my mind works when I think of this, uh, how these two things work together. So because I started as a recreation therapist in that role, you really look at the person as a person first and not as whatever debilitating condition it is that brought them um, in the workplace that you're, you're working in. So that meant that I learned a lot about people's stories, uh, why they came to hospital, whether that was in mental health or whether that was in alternate level of care, which is a place where people go and they're waiting for long-term care in hospital. And so that really informed my understanding of public health. So as I was going through my schooling, I would think about examples that I had in working with patients in a patient-centered way, um, learning about their stories and realizing, you know, these are the social determinants of health that have impacted them. These are the health inequities that have brought them to hospital. And so that really helped me have a, a deeper understanding of public health issues. And then on the flip side, learning about public health really helped me improve my patient-centered care because I knew that instead of looking at people as being, you know, the orchestrators of their poor health, as sometimes we do, unfortunately, you know, we look at someone who is a smoker and we think, well, maybe if they just stop smoking, then they wouldn't have lung cancer. And I think when you look at people with a public health perspective, you realize that it's these external factors um, that lead them to these health behaviors or or unhealthy behaviors. And so that also impacts your ability to practice in a person-centered manner, because you can see the person as uh, not existing in a vacuum, but being a a combination of of influences that have uh, brought their health to this Uh, this stage. 
And so by taking them out of the equation as being, you know, the only person responsible for their health, you can see them in a more empathic manner and understand who they are in the context of their environment, rather than just who they are as an individual, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That was very, very well said. And so learning more about your work as a recreational therapist, would you be able to elaborate a little bit more about what they do and what the day in the life of recreational therapists may look like? Yeah, so recreation therapy, I think, is a profession that is so unique and interesting because it can be so different depending on the setting that you work in. So I can describe what like the overarching uh, philosophy of recreation therapy is and, and what our practice is, is all about. So a recreation therapist is someone that uses functional leisure interventions uh, to improve somebody's quality of life. So that means that we are looking at somebody from a strengths-based lens and we're finding appropriate leisure interventions that we can use to help them feel as though they have autonomy, they have a sense of purpose, and that they can achieve their well-being. I know that that sounds a little bit abstract, so I can explain it to you from a unit level. So in my work in alternate level of care, a program might look like getting everybody together based on something that somebody is good at. So for example, when I worked in Toronto at a hospital, we had one individual who was really restless. She would kind of pace up and down the hallways. Uh, She was Italian speaking and she would say, you know, I need to get home and make dinner because my son's going to be home soon. And when she wasn't able to do that, she would get really upset and sometimes physical with the staff. And so we kind of thought about it as a team, like, what can we do to give this person an outlet that occupies them, that helps them feel at ease, and that is from a strengths-based perspective. Uh, So myself and my co-rec therapist thought, well, why don't we give her the chance to cook something for people? Because that's what she wants to do. So let's give her the opportunity to do that, which you don't often have in a healthcare setting. There's not often the resources to do that unless you have these types of supports in place. So what we did was we got a pasta maker. Uh, Actually, my manager had one. And we just got a bunch of people together. Um, We, of course, had to assess them and make sure they were appropriate for the group, follow proper hand hygiene, food safety practices. And she taught us all how to make pasta. And it was amazing because she was so engaged and so happy. She hadn't been walking for a long time and she was up on her feet. She was telling people what to do. And she, her behavior just completely settled whenever we gave her the opportunity to engage with people in that way. So I gave you that example because recreation therapy can be difficult to understand. Um, But in that example, I showed you how a recreation therapist uses assessment skills. Uh, So we assessed that this person was agitated. We evaluated what skills she had. So, you know, did she have the motor skills to do something like this? Did she have the communication skills? Who else would be appropriate in this setting? And we measured outcomes um, after doing the intervention, which required, you know, some accommodations in terms of table height, in terms of, you know, wheelchair accessibility. And then we, we kind of kept track of how she did following each time that we set up an intervention in that way. So that's an example of something that a recreation therapist does. I know that that's quite winded, but there's so many different applications for recreation therapy because it really comes down to 
what the person needs that you're supporting. And recreation therapists are very adaptable and able to give people the opportunity to increase their well-being and also feel important. And I think that's one of the most important parts of, of the job. No, I think you did an amazing job at explaining what a recreational therapist is. And so you've spoken a bit about the importance of considering the social determinants of health because they do play a role in influencing health outcomes and contributing to health inequities. But given your research background and your educational background, would you be able to further elaborate on what these social determinants of health can be and how they can influence the health of population? Yeah, that's an excellent question, Harneen. I think it's so relevant because as we know, people who are the most deprived in our society actually have the poorest health outcomes. And I think it's really important to consider the social determinants of health so that we can see people as products of the environments that they live in. Because as humans, we're, we're so influenced by our surroundings and our health is very dependent on where we live, the type of access that we have to different social services. So to name a few social determinants of health that are quite important, you know, education has strong links to health outcomes, your employment and job security, the access that you have to housing, whether the housing is affordable, whether it's safe, where it's located, whether you have a social safety network that becomes particularly relevant for people who do um, have poor health outcomes, because if you don't have a social support network, you often can't meet your own needs independently and might find yourself in an institution. As we know, gender has, you know, there's strong linkages between your gender and your health status. Race, uh, there are strong links between race and health status, as well as your disability status. Food insecurity is also a really big one. So it's interesting. Um, I remember learning in my master's of public health that those who live in impoverished neighborhoods actually have the least access to healthy foods and are more likely to purchase foods that are unhealthy and experience high obesity rates. So kind of coming back to that idea that if we look at individuals as being independent actors in their environments and being the only cause of their poor health, we might look at someone who's experiencing heart disease or obesity and think, well, if only they change their eating habits, perhaps they might experience better health. But when we're operating from a social determinants of health perspective, we're recognizing that, as I mentioned earlier, perhaps they're living in an impoverished neighborhood and they don't have access to those healthy foods because impoverished neighborhoods are also associated with being food deserts. So there's just not as much access to healthy food and it's actually more expensive, which is interesting. And that applies to both the US and Canada. So from a healthcare perspective, I actually did my master's thesis on the social determinants of health in a forensic psychiatry population. So if you think about people that have committed crimes and who also have a mental illness, there's often a lot of stigma because committing a crime is, is seen as something, of course, that's frowned upon, especially crimes that are more on the extreme end of things. So I wanted to understand what the background of these individuals were. And I did find that people who entered forensic psychiatry programs, so people who had a mental illness and committed a crime, but received a not criminally responsible status, a lot of them had low levels of employment, low levels of education. They came from impoverished families, and they also experienced a lot of trauma. 
And so while that wouldn't excuse any of their actions that led them to being part of that program, it really helped, at least for me, understand that there were a lot of factors outside of their control that helped them become part of environments where violence in particular was most likely to occur. And so we shouldn't be surprised to see that play out in their lives because the environment is so important in determining our actions. So that's kind of a long um, overview of, of how I find the social determinants of health being important. I think overall in healthcare, it really helps enhance your patient-centered practice because you're able to see the person as as I've mentioned uh, quite a few times, as being the product of these environmental circumstances that are often out of their control. Right, and, and this is something that our previous interviewees have also touched upon because it's so important. And it's really applicable to our healthcare system because potentially we do operate on a model that is acute care for patients. So like you said, when they're at their last resort or they're experiencing low a low health status rather than preventative approach to making sure that these patients don't end up in the position that they end up in the first place. And so I would agree that the social determinants of health isn't necessarily something that gained a lot of traction in the past, but perhaps it's something that's picking up because of the the knowledge that we're gaining through this research and because of the greater understanding we're, we're all starting to get as a society about how these determinants affect health status. So thank you for, for uh, touching upon these very important points. Um, now we're going to take sort of a different approach to the question because we want to learn more about um, what it's like to work in an interdisciplinary team. And so as an individual who's uh, worked in this setting, would you be able to speak upon the importance of interdisciplinarity in patient care and perhaps how you've collaborated with physicians, allied healthcare professionals, and patients themselves? Absolutely. So interdisciplinarity is so important because I think in the healthcare space, everybody is trying their best with what they have and with what they know. And oftentimes we're stretched. Um, We have a lot of tasks, a lot of responsibilities, and often are working with people who have high sets of needs. And so your coworkers really, you know, you should really feel like a team and there is a need to feel valued and respected in your disciplines and in your perspectives. And so interdisciplinary practice is quite important because you're able to see something perhaps in a profession based on your training that another individual might not see, or you're able to come together and create unique solutions that haven't been implemented before with the influence of all of your different trains of thought. That being said, I do think that there's work to be done on interdisciplinarity. I think that healthcare teams do need to work more closely in order to acknowledge the strengths of each discipline. I think as a recreation therapist, there there might be this perspective that what we have to offer might not be as valuable because we don't operate from a medical lens. And predominantly in the healthcare space, there is a perspective that the medical model is the most valuable model. And so I do think there's work to be done to acknowledge and recognize that there are other models of care that are as effective and as valuable and as important. So in my work in interdisciplinary care, I find that what's really important and something that I didn't learn in school is relationship building. And I think it's one thing to to understand a profession 
But I think it's really important to build relationships with your colleagues to build mutual respect and to work together. Because if you don't have that foundation of, of a relationship, it's going to be really hard to, to see different people's perspectives. So I think that that's something that should really be taught in school is learning about different disciplines. And that when you do work in healthcare, you do have your, your profession, and it's really important to know what your job is. But it's really important for recreation therapists, for example, to know who they are in the context of a nursing team. Um, so that's something that I wish I would have known more about going into the field. And it's something that I learned along the way. So I think in terms of collaborations, we do have rounds in healthcare spaces where everyone's able to express their perspectives on what the patient might need. And then there's opportunities for collaboration. I found that I've really taken an active role in building those connections. Uh, so for example, occupational therapy and physiotherapy are professions that are quite um, complementary. So I might approach an OT and say, uh, you know, I'm working on this goal that's very OT related, like, do you want to work together and create a group? So that's been something that's been really effective is kind of recognizing where other people might have knowledge and skills and uh, working together on things and sharing that knowledge to really give the patient the best experience possible. Absolutely. So bringing together all these brilliant minds is better than operating alone. That's what I'm picking up from this, along with some very valuable other messages as well. But, but yeah, uh, hopefully we can move towards uh, a system where there is more collaboration and there is more value and respect for all these different professions within the medical setting, even if they don't operate necessarily from a biomedical model. Absolutely. As you were talking, I was just thinking I didn't include the patient perspective because I think that in patient-centered care, you know, the patient is actually, you know, the leader of everything that's happening. And so... I think another part of, of collaboration among a healthcare team is also collaboration with the patient and taking direction from the patient and knowing what's most important to them and working from there, as opposed to coming in and saying, this is what I think you need to do. The patient is the one that should really be directing that. And sometimes there's a place for advocacy among a team to allow that patient voice to shine through. Yeah, absolutely. So privileging the voices of the people that the healthcare professionals are actually serving. So we're going to be wrapping up our interview now, but before we do so, we always like to ask our interviewees, what kinds of resources, opportunities that you think students should pursue to prepare themselves if they are interested in recreational therapy or healthcare in general? Yeah, so I think if I can speak from healthcare in general, it's really important before you go into healthcare to make sure that you really enjoy working with people and particularly people that aren't always going to be nice to you. So I think this idea going into healthcare can kind of be glorified and revered as being, uh, you know, really rewarding. And it is, um, don't get me wrong, but I do think one thing that I've noticed from colleagues is that there is a really high rate of burnout because it's really difficult not to personalize it uh, when you're not able to make someone happy because you're often not able to do that in healthcare. And so I think uh, before going into healthcare, it's really important to be reflexive and, and know where your limits are, I think emotionally and physically in terms of dealing with really difficult, high conflict situations um, because it can be really emotionally challenging work. And I don't think that's something that people 
are really aware of before they go into the field and something that they don't learn often until they become burnt out. So I think that's a really important thing. Uh, just, I don't know, that that's obviously not a resource, but something, maybe some internal work that people should reflect on before pursuing healthcare. I also think it's really important to get some exposure and experience in the healthcare setting if you can. I know right now with COVID, it, it's quite difficult, uh, but most hospitals do have volunteer departments where you can go into the hospital and really just get a feel for the setting, the structures, the types of people that you might be working with and see if you like it. Because again, it, it is a high stress environment and you want to be able to picture yourself there uh, for your career. And yeah, I think just reaching out to people that you know that work in the field is really helpful because they'll be able to give you a really honest perspective on their experiences. Yeah, I think that just kind of doing your research and really connecting with people is super important because you'll find out those things that you might not find uh, when you're reading program descriptions for uh, schools or, or job descriptions. Yeah, just really making sure that it's the right fit for you. So I think that your advice is super valuable and important. And I think students will learn from everything that you not only said in this last question, but with the entire interview, you touched on some very valuable points. And we're super appreciative that you were a guest on our podcast. And we're super excited for students to hear everything that you've shared. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. It's really great to be able to kind of speak to people that might be interested in this field. And I'm glad that you guys are providing this platform for students to learn more about the, the fields that they're interested in in healthcare or in health sciences. And that concludes our interview. A huge thank you to Sam for providing us with insight into the fields of recreational therapy and public health. The stories and experiences she shared were most definitely very educational to listen to, and we hope our listeners will also gain as much as we gain from this interview.